Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your presence in our life. Our prayer, God, is that you would descend into this place and touch every heart, every mind. Let our spirit be in tune with you today, God. You hold the answers to whatever questions we brought into this room. God, let this place today erupt with your presence. Let us not leave behind what we gather here today, God, but let us take it with us that we'll be changed not only for a moment, but for eternity. Let our purpose be about you. Let our desire be fixed on you. And let our eyes be fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. You can be seated. Mighty God. Welcome to Sunday. The, the best day of the week. I got two people that's excited about Sunday, so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the both of you. Hallelujah. I am... Uh, this morning, before we get started into the message, before we get started into the service... Uh, my wife has asked me to mention that in the back of the room, we have uh, merchandise, and she's like Vanna White up here this morning, and I guess she's going to show it off. Amen. So one of the greatest honors as a pastor is doing things like putting people into the ministry and marrying people and dedicating children to the Lord. One of the greatest thrills about being a long-term pastor where you stay in one spot for a long time is you dedicate children to the Lord. They grow up and have children themselves. And then you get to dedicate those children to the Lord. And this morning is one of those such occasions. And we're going to be, uh, in just a few moments, dedicating a child to the Lord that belongs to a child that I dedicated to the Lord a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> Psalm 22 and 10 says, From the day I was born, I have been in your care. And from the time of my birth, you have been my God. And because of Scripture like that, we uh, are reminded that God knew us before he ever formed us, that, that God is the one constant in our life and in our world. And I want to remind us that child dedication really drives home two points about the human condition. One is that young people are precious to God, and their lives are sacred because they are created in God's image and they have the capacity of personally relating to him. The second thing that it reminds us of is that in spite of the innocent beauty of children, we recognize that everyone needs Jesus. That it makes absolutely no difference what side of the tracks you come from or your socioeconomic background or 
any of the things that the world esteems, we all need a Savior. There is no way of us working out our own salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. So hear what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. See, this is the commandment of God that we should diligently not only rear our children in the most holy faith and teach them obedience, but that we need to instill the word of God into them. And the precedent for this ceremony of baby dedication uh, is found in Scripture. Hannah dedicated her son. Uh, she brought Samuel to the Lord and dedicated him. Uh, Jesus was presented to the priest at the temple by Mary and Joseph. And so uh, Paul reminds Timothy that from a child, Timothy had known the Scripture because his grandmother and his mother had taught him the Scriptures. Jesus calls children precious. And he said, permit these children to come to me. And don't hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So the purpose of baby dedication can really be found not in what we believe it does for the baby, but what it does to the family. Because the purpose of baby dedication is putting a responsibility onto the family that they publicly pledge to obey what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Don't provoke your children to wrath by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So this ceremony is meaningless unless it, the parents and the family and the church family decide that they are going to instill in a child what is necessary for that child to succeed in a spiritual context. So at this time, I would like to invite the family to come forth and stand on this stage. I'm going to stand back away from you. I know we still got all the stuff going on, so I'm going to ask if you would to come and stand on the stage. I don't want you on the floor because I want you to be able to see and meet this morning little Adonis Lee Shuttlesworth Wilson. Would the family that is going to come forward this morning uh, come and stand, join me on the stage. So we'll be taking a few steps up and just kind of turn and face the congregation, if you would. Congregation, meet little Adonis this morning. Would you give him a hand clap? I'm going to ask my wife uh, to come and join me. So we're going to make a covenant here this morning. Because if it's your intention to present a child to the Lord, we realize it really doesn't do anything for the baby. Uh, this baby at one point will reach an age of accountability where they'll have to receive Jesus for themselves. But as of right now, this is all about the family. This is about what the family is committing themselves to. And if you're going to dedicate a child to the Lord, you're going to have to commit yourself to doing a few things. Which is training that child that God comes first. Training that child that the Word exists above all things, and training that child that a commitment to God needs to be done in their hearts at the earliest possible time. If that's what you commit to this morning, church family, that's what we should commit to back to this child because it takes a village to raise children these days. God loves babies. 
I think everybody loves babies, especially when they belong to somebody else and you can pass them back and let somebody else change diapers and do stuff like that, yeah, and, and change bibs. So I'm going to ask my wife if she would to come, and we're going to present the baby with his very first, we hope it's his very first, but his very first Bible, because there is nothing in this world that's going to be more important to this baby than the Word of God, and that Word will stand when everything else falls apart. Church family? Would you stretch your hand forward this morning? Let's offer a prayer of dedication to this child. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, today, even in these strange times and even in these difficult situations, we offer up this child for, for Christian dedication today, God. We know that this does not ensure that this child uh, will walk with you, but God, we believe that as we offer them up, we offer ourselves up as a sacrifice that you would receive today our prayers. We cover little Adonis, God, that as he goes forward, his heart heart will be pricked by the Holy Spirit that when he is old enough to receive God he will receive your word and hide it in his heart that he won't sin against you that as the family and the family of God uh, we surround him with prayers and as godly examples we pray that you will work in his life strengthen him sustain him keep him safe keep him healthy let the family unit be blessed because of the call and the favor that you place on his life and we love you today in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Church, give them one more hand clap of prayer. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. God bless you. <laughs> I tell you, he looks just like a little man. He just, uh, his face looks just like, he looks like a grown little man in just a little baby body. <laughs> I, I keep waiting for him to look at me and go, hey, how are you? So like I, like I mentioned, this is, uh, this is one of those rare times where I, at some point years ago, had those, those Wilson girls up in the front of the church, and we dedicated them to the Lord. And now the Wilson girls have gotten old enough to, to give grandbabies, and now we're dedicating those grandbabies to the Lord. Because I've been here for 19 years at this one church. Now, I pastored another church before I came to this one. That means two things. One, I'm old. And two, that I've been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years. Obviously, that means I've been in ministry longer than that. And as a pastor, I have learned that sometimes I preach things that I know are going to be tough. Somebody say tough. Uh-huh. Say today is tough. Uh-huh. If it wasn't before, it's about to get that way. See, I realize that sometimes what I'm preaching it's tough for people to hear because it's tough for people to live. But I also know that at the same time that God not only has spoken into my spirit, but he has spoken sometimes for me to speak specifically to the spirit of the age. So let me explain to you what I mean by the spirit of the age. The devil, your adversary, has been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, he's been around longer than you or I have. And he has saw ancient times. He saw the ancient pyramids being built. He also saw the, uh, the, the, the frontier days of the cowboys. And, and he's also seen your yesterday and your day before yesterday. He saw the Great Depression. And he's also saw modern times, okay? He does not know the future, but he does know what the past holds. He knows the affairs of men. So every age fights spirits. 
We fight specifically spirits that are sent against the things that man is doing in that age. If that makes any sense to you, uh, let me help you. For instance, in ancient Egypt, they didn't have the internet. So the spirit of the age was not something that the devil conjured up against the internet because it wasn't a thing yet. There was no spirit of the age that involved uh, cars 5,000 years ago. So the spirits of the age deal with where you are on the timeline of God. God and the enemy have saw the past, but only God knows the future. You and I are trapped in this linear timeline, and we only know what is directly in front of us. So the enemy uses different temptations now and different things now than he did against the disciples. He uses weapons today that he did not have at his disposal a hundred years ago. Now, I'm about to begin a series this morning where I know, number one, I'm going to be saying things that are tough for you to hear. Know that before I have preached them, they have also been tough for me to put down. I want you to understand that in the next coming weeks, we're going to be speaking directly to the heart of our attitudes. I want you to understand it with me this morning that I also know that what I'm about to be speaking is going to strike at the heart of the spiritual conflict that we find ourselves in. In other words, the spirit of this age. Today, I began a message series called Cancel Culture. And the reason that I bring this message and this series at this point in time is because if I've ever been assured that the Holy Spirit was dealing with me about a topic it is not right now. I, I'm going to be dealing with some things that you and I have been surrounded by for a few months, maybe even over a year, maybe longer than that, and we don't know how to verbalize it. We haven't known how to deal with it. I know we haven't known how to deal with it because we've done a lousy job at it. I don't want you to leave this place saying preacher is mean, but I do want you to leave this place knowing that you was in a place where the truth was spoken. Because I'm going to be dealing with some things that you and I are going to be surrounded by, not only today, but in the uh, near future. And some spirits, if we start entertaining them, we're going to adopt the attitude of this world all the time, claiming that we love Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're going to adopt the wrong attitude. And God is not happy when we develop the attitude of the world in the church. So as I go along, I'm going to teach some things. And then we're going to use this morning's message as a sounding board to build upon for the next few weeks. In other words, if you don't like this message this morning or you get sideways with me before I'm done today, you're probably not going to like the next few weeks either. Because I'm going to be dealing with something that I'm scared about. And when I say I'm scared, I do not mean that I'm scared or afraid that the enemy is going to win. I'm scared because I see things that we are doing as Christian people and I see what it's doing to the church. And I'm scared how far down the road that we're going to go before we make the correction and I want to help you make the correction now instead of later. 
So what exactly does the term cancel culture mean? It is a, it is a word that is used in the uh, culture today that is a modern version. If I could, I prayed and I asked God and the Holy Spirit wouldn't give me anything, so you're just going to get Mitchumology, okay? When the Holy Spirit don't give me what I need, I just, I just say what comes into the brain. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes not so good. What is cancel culture? It's the grown-up version of cooties. You remember playing cooties? When, oh, none of y'all played cooties. That was just the heathens at Montcalm Elementary where I went to school. You remember cooties on the playground? When somebody had the cooties, nobody would touch them. When somebody had the cooties, nobody would go around them. Nobody would have anything to do with them. And, and if they touched anybody, that person got contaminated. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that just the heathens I ran around with? When we talk about cancel culture, it is a grown-up version of that very concept. Because when somebody does something or says something that another group of people says is offensive, then they cancel that group of people. In other words, nobody wants to affiliate with those people anymore. And the problem that we are running into with cancel culture is it doesn't have to be anything that you did recently. They'll go way, way, way back... And they'll start doing things that God himself don't do, which is hold you responsible for sins that you have already repented for. And the cancel culture that we are now living in is trying to teach us that you can never get above something that you said or did no matter how long ago it was. You can't earn your way out of, you can't live your way out of something that was offensive to anybody. I've lived enough days to know that I'm going to talk enough, I'm going to offend everybody at some point. I offend myself sometimes, so I don't have a chance of keeping you happy always. So when we talk about cancel culture, I want you to realize that, that when we define it, it could be somebody that you are affiliated with. It could be a group that you affiliate with or you support. It could be somebody in this room. Somebody who demands that everybody think like them, talk like them, and believe like them. And if you have a different viewpoint, it's no longer called, we have a difference of opinion. It's called, you are wrong, and I have to hate you. That's where we are in America. And unfortunately, that's where it's getting to in the church. I told you, I'm not going to be popular in this series because I'm scared to death of what I'm witnessing from Christian people. I never gauge the world's temperature by what the world is doing. But because the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, I've always placed the church in a higher uh, uh, range and stratosphere than the world. But what I am seeing is getting into the church world, and it's damaging our witness, and that scares me to death. Cancel culture has a zero-tolerance policy. If you have ever said anything racial, if you have said anything bigoted, if you've said anything sexist, if you've ever said anything as a Christian that was a cuss word or off color, it doesn't matter how long ago it was, you can't change. It's a zero tolerance policy. In other words, if you don't think like me, act like me, discuss like me, believe like me, you are wrong and I have to cancel you. I'm seeing that show up in the church. 
I'm going to take you over to Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to do something that I never do. I'm going to preach expositorily. I usually preach topically. Uh, that's, that's been my, uh, what God has always did uh, in my ministry. I've always been a topical sermon preacher, but this morning I have to. I tried every way I could to preach this topically, and the Holy Spirit kept leading me to go line by line, precept upon precept. So that's what I'm going to give to you this morning. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, Paul tells us, I pray that your love, not your cancel culture, not your disdain, not your aggravation, your love will overflow more and more. Understand something with me before I keep reading. Paul is about to start a series of scriptures, and I'm about to get to the point where, where he begins to tell people what I think we're facing right now. And that is this. Above everything, you and I need to be humble. As the body of Christ, we need a baptism in humility. We can fight for what is right, but do it in a wrong way and make ourselves wrong. Because I'm hearing people justify their words and their actions and their deeds in various different ways. But Paul says right here, this is what I want for you. I want your love to overflow. I want your love to overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. Hello, 2021. Let's find out what really matters. And it's not going to be any tagline or headline that you see on the news. Paul says, I want you to know what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And verse 12 says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped me spread the good news. And that's good preaching, Brother Paul. Paul said everything that happened to me made the gospel spread. And by the way, the things that Paul went through, like going to prison for things he didn't do, being uh, falsely accused, beaten, uh, beaten nearly to death, people lied on him, people caused him all manners of difficulty and problems that were unfair. Say that word, say unfair. Uh-huh, that seems to be a catchphrase in this culture that we're living in. Paul went through it all. He endured it. And this is what he said. This is the first lesson that I want you to learn today. He said, everything that happened to me made me a better Christian. Oh, it's going to get quiet in here. If you're already nervous, it ain't, I ain't even got warmed up yet. He said, all this stuff, I got beat almost to death. I went to prison for stuff I didn't do. They have lied on me. It has been unfair. But you know what the result was? It made me a better Christian. The reason I bring this message series to you in the beginning of in the January of this year is because in 2021, you're going to choose beginning now and for the rest of your life, you're going to choose whether the things that happen around you and to you make you bitter or make you better, make you an overcomer or make you a victim. You choose. 
The things that are about to start happening in the world, and I don't think you've seen nothing yet, they're either going to make you a better Christian or a worse one. And what I'm seeing in cancel culture is that we have become worse at the one thing that the world needs desperately. You're going to take what's happening around you and to you, and you're going to utilize it for the furtherance of your witness, or it's going to hold your witness back. Your mouth, your Facebook posts, the stuff you're engaged in when you're not in church. These are the things that are going to make you a better or a worse witness for Christ Jesus. Or they're going to hold you back. That's what Paul's saying here. Look at verse 13. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He said, they chained me up, but I kept preaching. They put me in prison, but I wouldn't shut up about Jesus. And now even the prison guard knows who Jesus is. They thought they were cha- I was chained to them. No, no, no. They was chained to me. And I wasn't trying to get loose from them. They wanted to get loose from me because I just kept telling them about Jesus. And verse 15 is where I want to uh, drop an anchor and, and just talk to you this morning. Paul says it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Rivalry. But others preach about Jesus with pure motives. What he said was, listen, my trouble's not over. Because I got people preaching Jesus, and their purpose for preaching is not to get people saved or to get the captive free. Their purpose is to cause me trouble. Can you imagine Christians trying to cause other Christians trouble? I mean, can you just imagine what kind of a bunch of sorry, no good, never mind. That's them Christians down in Beckley. That's not you fine folk. You are perfect just like you are. Can you imagine Christians trying to cause trouble for other Christians? Can you understand what Paul is talking about here? He said, verse uh, 17, those others don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, listen to what he says, intending to make my chains more painful. They have terrible intentions toward me. He said, there's people preaching Jesus, but they're not preaching Jesus out of love and trying to get people help. They're preaching because me problems. And this is going to begin a bunch of scriptures that we just read over and we don't ever really apply, but I'm going to try to apply it to your life today, okay? Because this is the spirit of the age that we're fighting against. And if you are a believer and you want to get on board with the truth and fight against, not with each other, but or not against each other, but with each other, I I want you to understand that there's a spirit that you're going to have to engage, and I want to unlock some truth for you. Listen, I hope you love me. I hope that if you're sitting in here listening to me or if you're watching on Facebook uh, or, or YouTube, I pray that you appreciate the spirit in which I'm about to begin teaching this word because this is not going to be easy to hear. It's not going to be easy to digest, and it's going to be difficult to apply to your life. But I want to show you what the Spirit is doing against the church. Listen to what Paul said. He said, after all I've been through, after all the devils I have fought, all the trouble I have seen, I became better 
at my witness. So bear with me. I'm going to try not to get emotional, but verse 18, he says, all the stuff that I fought, all the devils that I ran through, all the people that, that hurt me, all the bad intentions that my own people had against me, he said, none of that matters. Whether their motives were false or genuine, this message about Jesus is going to be preached anyway. And so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. He said, hell ain't made a, a weapon big enough to keep me from preaching this gospel. Because no matter if people were helping me or was against me, people that were supposed to be on my side turned their backs on me. But none of that matters because I came here to preach and I'm going to preach. I want somebody under the sound of my voice to hear that 2021, you're going to have to make up your mind. I came into this room as a Christian. I'm going to walk out of this room as a Christian and nothing else matters. You can't shake me. You can't move me. The spirit of this age is trying to divide us, but I'm going to stand and decree and declare, and I'm going to keep my witness intact. You can attack me. You can abandon me. You can walk out on me, but I walked in here saved, and I'm going to walk out of here saved. First time I encountered a church boss when we came to this church, we were sitting in the sanctuary and they said, well, you're going to do it this way or I'm leaving this church. I said, I want you to understand something. I came to this church, uh, certified, ordained minister in the church of God. I'm going to leave this church the same way. I don't know how you're leaving. That's a decision you got to make. I'm going to keep my salvation. You won't threaten me because I know in whom I have believed and I know who's got my back. You'll threaten me like that because I'm not going to lose my cool and go and slap the taste out of your mouth as bad as I would love to. I'm going to keep myself right with God. Paul said all this stuff's been happening to me and instead of getting on Facebook and throwing a temper tantrum like I'm a four-year-old. He says in verse 19, For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Christ helps me, this is going to lead to my deliverance. Paul said, I didn't throw myself a little pity party, which, by the way, is the only kind of party Jesus won't attend. He said, I didn't throw myself a pity party. He said, I've decided that everything that happens to me happened for a reason, and God's going to get the glory out of it, and I'm going to handle myself appropriately. Oh, I know this won't be popular, especially with what's happened in the last 12 months. But I'm going to show you, according to verse 20, what I came here to preach. For I fully expect and hope. that I will never be ashamed. But I'll continue to be bold for Christ. As I have been in the past. And I will trust my life to bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. So hear this preacher. If you never hear me preach another sermon, we need to check ourselves, church. We are not like the world. You and I, if we claim to be believers, we need to live a life where we should not be ashamed in how we have handled ourselves. 
We cannot allow the spirit of the age to cause us to live in such a way that we bring shame either to ourselves or, God forbid, we bring shame to the body of Christ. Paul said, listen to me, promise of victory in 2021. I've been beat almost to death three times. I've been put in prison for stuff I didn't do. I've been lied on. They scandalized my name. The church didn't want me. My own people rejected me. But, he said, through everything that was happening to me, around me, and to me, I never reacted in a way that I am ashamed of. So my first question to you, believer, with 2020 behind us and all the craziness that we just went through, with, with, with COVID in your face constantly, the political scene that we just came, the chaos, riots all summer, riots the other day. There was never a riot in my house. There was never a riot in my heart. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, I can't control what anything is going on in, around me, or to me. But what I can control is what happens in me. COVID broke out last year, and the church lost its ever-loving mind. I was blocking Christian people on Facebook. Shouldn't be that way, church. Oh, Walmart made you walk through the same door twice? <gasps> the horror! You had to go in a door and go out the same door? They wouldn't let you through lawn and garden? How will you survive? Let me ask you a question. 20 years from now, if the earth remains, and they're writing books about 2020, do you really think Walmart and their entry process and the lanes in the, in the store is really what people are going to remember? But good Christian people, I saw their attitudes on Facebook. If your candidate won or didn't win the election, whether you believe people should wear masks or shouldn't wear masks, have you said or done anything in a recent that you are ashamed of? Have you approached people with an attitude that you are today ashamed of? Because Paul said, listen, 2021, promise of victory, Christian. I don't think any of you have had it as bad as I had it. We act like we're being persecuted because they want us to wear a mask. Paul said, I was beaten almost to death. I was locked in prison. But he said, everything that happened to me, instead of me acting a fool and being ashamed, at the end of the day, I became a better Christian and had a better witness, and the gospel went farther. And you know why? Because everything that happened to me means that I held my tongue, I bit my lip, and I kept my attitude in check. And because of that, God got glorified. So I'm going to face things, and you're going to face things every single day, especially in the climate that we're living in. And you're going to have to decide whether or not it's going to make you a bitter person, a better person, a triumphant person, or a defeated person. But I personally, when I lay down at night, I don't want to be ashamed of anything. I do not want to, when I lay down at night, for him to be ashamed of me. Do you, represent, do you understand that you represent something much bigger than you? You realize that you represent the king of glory and that when you call yourself a Christian, the world is watching you, how you react and how you respond.
So if you keep reading, Paul starts talking about dying. He says, man, I'd love to go to heaven, but you need me here. I turned 47 last month. I wrote to God. I'm not going to tell you what I wrote him. But part of it said, I understand what Paul meant when he said, my desire is to be with you. But these people still need me. That's why he keep reading this passage and Paul says, I want to go to heaven. I'm tired of this place. But you need me here. Verse 27, he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. You hear this, Christian? Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And then Paul says, then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together in faith, which is the good news. Here we go again. Paul's getting mean. He says, watch your conduct. Act like, if you're going to be a Christian, act like one. He says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Wow. So before you're a Republican, you should be a Christian. Before you're a Democrat, you should be a Christian. Before you take a stand for mask wearing or against mask wearing, run that stand through a Christian filter before you sound off on somebody. Before you start posting stuff on Facebook, running down the president or the governor or the CDC, listen, before you do that, ask yourself, before you hit send, is this worthy of the gospel? Is this something that God would be proud of? Is this a good representation of who Jesus is? Hear me. If this doesn't help the gospel, Paul says you might want to bite your lip. We always want to verbalize our opinions. But we're not helping further the gospel. See, there's nothing wrong with showing your character. There's nothing wrong with having opinions. But you have to realize that you represent something bigger than yourself. Uh huh. So before you say something to somebody, before you join a cause, before you post something on Facebook or tweet something, ask yourself, is my conduct that I'm about to engage in worthy of the gospel? Is what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do and how I'm feeling, is, is how I'm about to express myself, is it all worthy of the gospel? Because Paul said, whether I come to see you or not, I will hear. You know what that means? Whether anybody comes to the house of God or not, the stories get out. You are judged by how other Christians live. I'm judged by what you post on Facebook. If you got a promise of victory sticker on your car, slow down. Don't be one of these people who goes to Walmart, takes up four uh, parking spaces. Act like you ain't never drove before. Take that sticker off. There's been times I've been through Walmart wanting to peel that sticker right off. Because I'm judged by how you live your life. That's what Paul said. He said, whether I come to see you or not, I will hear. The stories are getting out. I hear about your activities. And here's what he said, though. I hear that you're standing together. You're standing fast in one spirit and in one mind, standing together, standing together, standing together. You know what we're doing? 
You know what the spirit of this age is doing? It's causing us to divide instead of standing together. We're standing against one another instead of with one another. Paul said, I'm going to come see you, and here's what I've heard about you. He said, I've heard rumors that your church... And here's what I've heard about you. I've heard of your activities. I've heard you're standing fast in one spirit with one mind. You're standing together. You're striving together. And the Lord is my witness. 2020 gave a black eye to the body of Christ. Because we did not stand together. Oh, it got quiet in this mortuary. The body of Christ did not stand together. It was our time to shine. Do you hear me? The world was looking for answers wherever they could find them. And instead of the church arising and letting Jesus and Jehovah Nisi be the banner that we operated under, we folded like a dirty dish rag. We did not lift up the banner of Jesus and His righteousness and His holiness. When the world was looking for answers, we acted like we didn't know where they were. We fought with each other. We disguised ourselves as Christians while we were really taking on the agenda of the world because the spirit of this age has caused us to divide instead of standing together. You and I are supposed to be on the same team. 2020 gave the black eye to the body of Christ. We butt heads constantly. We're sandpaper rubbing against one another. I want to be right. I have strong opinions. Listen to how smart I am. I googled some stuff and I'm going to post it on Facebook. In 2020, everybody became an expert. Expert. Some people never graduated high school, but they know all about viruses now. I always thought it was funny when I was, uh, you know, coming up in my teen years and my and my early adulthood, where people would try to correct the national debt, and these are the same people that don't even balance their own checkbook. And they're always saying, well, the government spends too much money over here. You ain't never even seen close to a trillion dollars. You don't know how to spend a trillion dollars. You blow your paycheck before the next paycheck shows up. Who are you to tell anybody how to spend money? But 2020 made us experts in everything. We started out as virus experts, and then we became experts on race relations. And then after the race relations uh, was dying down, we became experts on, on how the government should control uh, uh, schools going back and, and businesses operating or closing down. And then we became political experts. Everybody's an expert PhD in everything. I don't know where everybody's got the time to get all these diplomas. But the church, Paul says you're not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to stand Together. And if you're a Christian, these words should never come out of your mouth. I want to be right. I want to show my dominance. I want to make sure you understand my point of view. I have strong opinions. Because what that does is it makes us stand against each other, not with each other. Paul said, I want to come see you because I've heard rumors about your church. I've heard rumors that you're standing fast in one spirit, one mind, and you're striving together. You're working together. You're fighting together. You're striving. You're fighting. But you're not fighting against each other. You're fighting together. Because you understand there's only one enemy. And it's not who occupies the White House. And it's not the neighbor across the street. 
And it's not the CDC. There's only one enemy. And when we get together, we are more powerful than when we are divided. And that's why the enemy's always trying to divide us. Verse 28 says, don't be intimidated by your enemies. Because this will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed. But that you are going to be saved even by God himself. You know what that means? That means when we stand together, you don't have to worry about your enemy. That's why the enemy's constantly trying to send division. Because he knows that when we stand together, when we put our differences aside and say, you know what, you don't look like me, think like me, or act like me, but we are brothers in Christ, we are sisters in Christ, and there is nothing stronger than a church that is prayed up and anointed and ready to take the enemy's land. But if you fight and chew with each other, that's a sign that they won't be destroyed, but that we are. Verse 29 says, For you have given not only the privilege, this, this, is, this is hard. This is hard. He said, You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but the privilege of suffering for Him. Okay, I need to stop right here because I'm going to say that part again. You've not only been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also suffering for him. If you got your Bible, I hope you mark that. I hope you underline it. Because if you're here in this room and you trust him and you think that that's all it's going to take to get over on your enemy, it ain't enough. It's not enough that you just trust Christ. In order for you to get over on hell, you're going to have to be willing to suffer for him as well. Suffer for Jesus' sake. Do you know what I'm finding? I'm finding that Christians are allergic to suffering. Somehow, some way, and I don't know whether it was the prosperity gospel's fault or who's to blame for it. I don't know exactly what caused it, but somehow, some way, we got in our minds that we're never supposed to go through hard times. That because we serve the Lord, everything's supposed to be easy for us. And so we're supposed to have everything the way we want it and according to the word or everything's wrong. And the cancel culture has made its way into the church and we should not be canceling anybody because Jesus died for everybody. And we're trying to divide people up into groups of political parties and races and, and however they have come and whatever their backgrounds are and they did that sin and they're a 500 pence sinner and I'm only a 50 pence sinner and they're not worthy of coming into the church and we are missing the point of being the church. Well, pastor, that's not my opinion. Well, I'll take you to the Word and show you you ain't supposed to have one anyway. The Bible says I die daily. You know what dead men have? Not opinions. And so I, as we get into this word, it's going to be tough. Because we want to express our feelings and our emotions. That's what cancel culture is all about. I want to express, and I don't want to listen to you. And, I, and what we really care about is ourselves and not whether it honors God or not. We expect everything to be easy because God loves us. And hey, he ought to bless me because I bothered to show up on church on Sunday. But you know what the Bible says? You're going to suffer for Jesus' sake. If you're going to learn how to defeat the enemy, it won't be easy. You'll suffer. You'll suffer. 
And most of us don't want to do that. I see it so much. I hear it so much. Since COVID, will you, will you hear my heart? You know I love you. Since COVID, people have gotten so rotten, hateful, mean-spirited. I get you're frustrated, but child of God, I'm talking about believers. That we don't want to take a moment and just say, you know what? I don't agree with you, but I'll still love you because I'll suffer for Christ if I have to. I, I, I'm not about to try to tell you how to feel politically. I saw a post during November's election that if you're a Christian, you can't vote this way. Are you kidding me? The Bible tells me in Romans there is two qualifications. Believe in my heart, confess with my mouth, salvation is mine. Read your Bible. We've got too many things tearing us apart and there's one thing that should be drawing us together and that is the gospel. It is good now. It'll be good a hundred years from now. Jesus, he died, he lives again and he's coming back. What, I, what I'm scared about is because I, I'm not trying to tell you if you're wrong for supporting a candidate or whether you want to wear a mask. I'm not about to try to tell you you're wrong because you go to a church where they close down because of COVID and you say, well, your pastor don't have faith. Do you know you're not supposed to uh, 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 try to uh, uh, hurt other Christians? Uh, you're not supposed to attack another member of the body of Christ because they haven't came back to church yet? Especially... Especially when I've got so much wrong with me still. I'm not about to try to correct everybody around me when there's still so much in me that he's still trying to correct. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. And if you've already checked out on me and you don't like this, you won't like the rest of these sermons. Because what I feel in this spirit is that as a pastor, there's times when I know that I'm driving a nail through the heart of the spirit of this age, and this is one of those times. And this is a word that is for right now. I couldn't preach this 10 years ago, and I probably wouldn't be able to preach it 10 months from now. But we cannot blame the devil for the shape that the church is in. We can't. This is our fault. This happened on our watch. And I, for one, am sick to death of watching people who all claim to love Jesus not want to love each other because we think differently or we act differently or we vote differently. Christians, we can't let it happen. That's what Paul says in, in chapter 2. You keep reading in chapter 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? God, I hope so. Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I want to stop right there. Does that sound like a church you want to go to? Where there's encouragement? Comfort of love? Fellowship of the Spirit? Compassion and mercy? That sounds like a church I want to go to. I mean, that sounds like what a church should be. Hello? I shouldn't even have to search for a church like this. They all ought to be like this. They ought to be full of these things. Compassion, comfort, love, fellowship of the Spirit, mercy, encouragement. We ought to be full of this stuff. But listen to how Paul starts that st statement. If, is, he's asking a question. 
Can I find it? You should be able to. So this year, we're on a mission at Promise of Victory. We're on an assignment to be uncommonly kind. And to be intentionally connected with each other. Because the enemy of this age is trying to intentionally dissect us. So we have to become intentional in drawing together and becoming assimilated and connected together. I want to be a church like that. Listen to verse 2. Then making me truly happy. Paul says, make me truly happy. (laughs) You want to make the pastor happy? Agree wholeheartedly with each other. Play nice. You want to make the pastor happy? Just get along. Love one another. Work together in one mind and one purpose. See, 2,000 years ago, Paul was already dealing with the knucklehead of stuff we're still dealing with today. He says, if you're going to call yourself a Christian and you're going to live a life that you don't have to be ashamed of, He says, you ought to have love, you ought to have compassion, you ought to have mercy. He said, that will make me happy. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Here's how your church gets full of it. Here's how your house gets full of it. Here's how your mind gets full of it. He says, love one another. Work together with one mind and one purpose. Now stop right there because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I would have unity with that knucklehead if they thought like I thought. I'd have unity if everybody liked the same candidate I vote for. I'd have unity if everybody understood what I understand. No, 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 no. That's called self-centeredness. And that's the opposite of humility. What Paul is expressing to us and what I'm trying to teach you today and moving forward is that sometimes unity means you have to agree to not fight for something that you think is right. Unity might mean that you're going to suffer for Jesus. See, see, I'm going to let y'all in on a pastoral secret. Pastors don't know all of their people equally. And in court, and I know you won't like to hear this, but pastors, just like you don't like or, or know or have the same kind of relationship equally with everybody in your life, pastors are the same way. Some of our sheep, we love to be around. Some of our sheep, we suffering for Jesus. Some of y'all married and just suffering for Jesus. Some of y'all go to the family reunion, not because you want to be there, but you are determined that you're going to suffer for Jesus and just show up and look around and say, there is no way that the same DNA in me is in these people. I know they picked the wrong baby up at the hospital. My family has got to be better put together. Some of y'all go to work every day, and you know that that work, that job, that paycheck is a blessing of the Lord, but you are not there because you feel fulfilled, and you feel like you're at the top of your game, and you are blessed and highly favored just to walk it. No, no, no. You are suffering for Jesus but you say you know what I'm going to suck it up I'm going to straighten my tie I'm going to get my blouse on I'm going to go in there and I'm going to represent the king of kings and the lord of lords because that's what I came to do you have to agree at some point to say if it doesn't have a sin value attached to it I'm not willing to fight over it see things that we're fighting over don't have sin value attached. They're opinions. I know some of y'all checking out on me right there. Some of you getting angry at me. I apologize, but what Paul's teaching me is that sometimes if I'm going to serve Jesus, I'm going to suffer for him. And the modern day church is totally adverse to suffering. 
We lose our ever-loving mind because Walmart wants us to walk out the same door we came in. And I hear the stupidest, and I know that's not a good word, but I like to use it when it comes to things like this. I hear the stupidest comments come out of Christian people's mouths. It's my constitutional right. Have you read the Constitution? Where's Walmart in there? I got a constitutional right to come in this store. No, you don't. It's called private property. And I have private property. And just like you can't walk into Walmart and do what they don't want you to do, you can't walk in my house and do what you don't, oh, I don't want you to do either. So we've got, we have to understand that when we are Christians and we get absolutely, completely reckless with our words because they want us to wear a mask. Do you see how that's a first world problem? Paul said, I was beaten. We act like we're persecuted because we have to work. We have to do this. We act like we're being persecuted to the death because we had to put a mask on. Paul said, I was beat. That's my suffering. It's a small price to pay. And sometimes if there's no sin and there's no salvation attached to it, Paul says, I'm not willing to fight for it. And your pastor says the same thing. If there's no sin and there's no salvation, I'm not going to fight you over it. We'll get to that in another sermon. Let's keep reading verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. And if that's not tough enough, thinking of others better than yourselves. Verse 4 says, don't look out only for your own interest. And here's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end my message in this vein of thought. Don't just look out for your own interest. Look out for the interest of other people too. Listen, listen, I'm going to stand here and decree and declare, and we're, we're broadcast on the Internet. I don't think they got this virus figured out. I don't think they know how it spreads altogether. I mean, they change the story all the time, correct? I don't think they, they know how much masks help. I don't think they do. But I'm wearing one. Do you know why? Let nothing be done out of conceit, but be humble. Let you esteem others better than yourselves. Think of others' interests above your own. There are people who believe if you don't have a mask on, they're going to die. They think masks are saving their lives. So it is a small thing for me to do to not invoke fear on another human being. I'm sorry it is. I know some of y'all mad at me already, so let me just dig in a little bit more because this is Bible. This is Bible. This is not the opinion of man. That's what I'm trying to preach you out of is the opinion of man and show you that the Bible says I'm supposed to think about other people ahead of my own comfort. Oh, I know. I'm an American. I am too. And understand, nobody's more pro-America than me. I'm pro-gun. I'm pro-God. I'm pro-Second Amendment, First Amendment. I stand on the First Amendment every Sunday and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before I'm an American, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And sometimes I have to check my American attitude in preference to the gospel. And the gospel says sometimes I have to put other folks ahead of myself. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to let anybody lead me into sin or put me in harm's way. But it plainly says here, let each of you don't just look after your interest, but the interest of other people. I would rather not wear a mask. I hate them stupid things. 
I want everybody to vote like me. I do. I have strong opinions about who I vote for. I want you all to vote like me. I have opinions. I'm an expert on my opinion. I believe my opinion's right. Because if I thought your opinion was right, I'd make that opinion my opinion. But just because you don't vote like me or think like me or act like me, I will not diminish your rights. Your value as a child of God because you think differently than I do. Because the Bible says sometimes I can't look after my own interest. I have to look after the interest of other people. And I'm going to end with verse 5. Verse 5 says you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. In other words, you've got to check yourself. Check yourself to see if you're acting like Jesus. And the next few sermons is going to be all about us getting our attitude corrected. Because the Bible says that I need the same attitude Jesus had. And sometimes i got to put Jesus' interest above my opinion. Not because I believe the CDC, but because I believe, or I believe this group or this political party is right. No, 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 no. It's because I believe the Word of God, and the Word of God says sometimes I just need to zip my lip, shut my mouth, quiet down, and just go quietly on. Because at the end of the day... I'm not trying to match the rightness of the CDC. I'm not trying to match the rightness of a Republican or Democratic Party. I'm trying to match the rightness of the only one who is right. His name is Jesus Christ. Not me, not you, not Fauci, not it. There's one right, and his name is Jesus. And I need his attitude. What kind of attitude did he have? I'm glad you asked, but I'm not going to tell you today. I don't have time. I don't have time to do it this morning. We'll start that next week because I want to do an attitude check on us. And I hope you love me at the end of the day. I hope you love me when this this series is over. And listen, when I stand up here and I tell you that thing, please don't leave this place and think that I am pro-mask or against mask. I'm indifferent to mask. I don't care one way or the other. Do you hear me? It don't make any difference to me because when I die, I'm going home to Jesus. And that's what I intend to do. I'm going to keep myself right with him here so that when I die, I go home to him. So I'm not, masks don't make any difference to me because I'm going to heaven when I die. So mask, no mask, they can put a mask on me in the coffin. Don't make no difference to me. I won't be there. On my tombstone, I don't want Democrat or Republican. But at my funeral, I do want the word Christian mentioned. Because I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Because none of the rest of that matters much to me. I want to know when I leave this earth that my attitude matched his attitude. And sometimes that means you've got to look at people and know that they are as wrong as two left shoes. And say, I'm going to love you anyway because God himself loves you. I want to get myself right. I don't have time to correct everybody else when i got so much going on in me. I want to go to heaven. I want to meet you there. I want to make sure I get there, but I want to make sure I take some folks with me when I show up there too. How do we do that? We don't stand against each other. We stand together. We stand together. We have the attitude of Christ. We have his mind. You know what the most destructive part about the cancel culture is? It won't let us talk to each other. 
We don't like what somebody's saying, so we just shut them down. If they're talking, we scream louder and we refuse to listen. And the only voices that we allow to speak are the ones that agree with us. There was a time in this country where you could have a different opinion from somebody else and you could debate the points and then go to lunch together or even go to church together. But now we are constantly being told that we have to hate each other. The media is not your friend. They want you to be divided. They want you to hate one another. There will come a time in the near future where they will tell you that you, as a, 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 an individual who, who has a different skin color for, than me, you shouldn't be sitting under my ministry. I'm, tell, I'm not prophesying. I'm just seeing the writing on the wall. They will tell you that you should not be sitting under a white man preaching the gospel to you because I'm preaching a Jesus that is not your Jesus. I got news for them and for you before it ever gets started. There ain't but one Jesus. He ain't white. He ain't black. He was a Jew. He's coming back. He's going to reveal himself to all of us and we'll all know the truth. There's only one Jesus. We can't have one in the black church and one in the white church and one down in the Hispanic churches. That's not going to work. So, so we have to understand who it is that we're fighting. Who's the culture and it shouldn't be each other. We're constantly being told that we have to hate each other, be mad at each other. Not because you've done something to me, but because of the color of your skin. Or what party you belong to. We see something on social media, and obviously it's got to be true. So we start sharing it. Because we can't wait to be outraged about something. And you see it on social media, you read the headline, you start going off the deep end without ever checking to see if it's true. Every Sunday in this country, pastors stand in the pulpits and preach the truth of the word. And the church media team says, share this video. And you're too lazy to do that. But as soon as some conspiracy theory pops up, you start hashtagging and retweeting it and sharing it. See, if the church should be making anything good go viral, it shouldn't be conspiracy theories out of Washington. It ought to be the good news of Jesus Christ. We've lost our focus. There's one thing that's going to heal this nation, and it's not a party in Washington. It's when we take the, seriously the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. You want to heal political unrest? Love. You want to heal racism right now? Love. Do you want to make children be born and mothers stop aborting them? Love. It's never ever going to happen from hatred. Never have I ever changed my mind about anything because somebody screamed at me, diminished my opinion, or argued in my face. But I have been loved into changing. I'm going to tell you something in this room that the world doesn't want you to know. You ready? It's okay for you to think differently than me. It's okay for you to have a different opinion than I have. It's okay if you're not a Republican or if you are a Democrat. It's okay. It's okay if you have a different skin color than I do or if your neighbor does or, or, or if you wear a mask or you think I ought to have one on when I'm up here preaching. What it's not okay is for you to be mean about it. Christian, it's okay for you to have differences of opinion. It's never okay for you to show yourself be hateful and spiteful and condescending to people that Jesus Christ died for and we're supposed to be witnessing to. Can I assure you, this world is not about to crumble because there's about to be a regime change in Washington. 
It didn't crumble four years ago. It didn't crumble a hundred years ago. And it won't crumble this week. It doesn't matter who, what the outcome of the election was. The sun will come up tomorrow because the president doesn't hold that in his hand. It don't matter what businesses open up next week or if they shut some down because the world will keep spinning on its orbit around the sun. You know why? Because none of that stuff is as important as they want you to believe it is. The one thing that is important and the per- this is the perfect opportunity for the church to be a beacon of hope in this dark world and declare to everybody, hey, everybody that's in darkness, we've got the answer and his name is Jesus. Let me say that to you again. Our answer to a hurting humanity and the destruction of this world is Jesus Christ and the church needs to get the focus back on the cross again don't let confusion erupt in the house of God his name is Jesus he's the answer we trying to figure out what somebody in Washington is doing I know what God is doing he's preparing a bride and one day he's stepping out on a cloud and coming back to collect his own Shoo! There's only one truth that matters. Not a stolen election or a conspiracy theory about the virus. There's one truth that should matter in the house of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that man, Jesus, left heaven's splendor stepped over the balcony of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, born of a virgin in a manger next to livestock, walked to the dusty streets of Nazareth for 33 and a half years, never sinned, never gave in to temptation. And when the time came, he laid down his life. He died. He died for everybody. He died for the Republican. He died for the Democrat. He died for white people. He died for black folk. He died for brown people. All people. And on the third day, he got up. The stone was rolled away. And one day, church, he's coming back. And do you know why? Because he loves humanity. He loves you. And he also loves the ones that don't think like you. Or act like you. Or vote like you. God forgive us. God forgive us for making this about us. God forgive us that when you're trying to save humanity, we're trying to give them reasons to fight. We're trying to divide when you're trying to draw together. Forgive us, God, of our selfish ways. You have saved us, not for just us, but for the world to know that you love them too. God, we repent today. Have mercy on our souls. God, I don't want to be ashamed of anything in my life. When this day closes, God, when I lay my head 
to rest tonight. I don't want to be ashamed of anything. Search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. I repent, God, of selfish ambition. Help me be humble. The very people that we have been fighting with is the harvest field that you have been sending us to reach. And we have been too arrogant to be humble. Whew. Forgive us, Lord. Oh, God. If one soul has been lost because the body of Christ didn't stand together, one is too many. Forgive us. Make us more like you. Help us, God. My God, my God, my God, my God. You remember when you were a little kid, mama told you not to eat the cookies, and you did what you wasn't supposed to do? And yeah, there was some fear attached to that emotion. You were afraid you were going to get punished, but more than fear, do you remember? Do you remember? You were ashamed. You were ashamed that you knew better, and you did it anyway. God did not let us get to the end of our days and make us ashamed because we knew better and we did it anyway. I'm not trying to thin the herd, but this might be the easiest of all the messages in this series. Because we have to adjust our attitude. The world is dying and going to hell and the church has the answer. And we can't even get along enough to spread the gospel. Because we want to argue over political pundit points that won't matter when eternity gets here. This virus doesn't exist in heaven. It's not there. You can take your mask if you want to, I guess. But I want you to understand that our focus has gotten on the wrong things. And because of it, people have died without a Savior. And that's not okay with me. And it shouldn't be okay with you. We, we need to do better. 2021 needs to be better than 2020. <laughs> Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He's a good God. And he died because he loves humanity. And promise of victory, we also need to love humanity. Amen. I told my wife I was going to preach half this time. I failed miserably. 
You know what? I never, in 20 some years of preaching this gospel, I have never failed the other way. Like, I have never let the pulpit and went, wow, I was really quick today. Never. Like, I never walked off the stage and went, oh my goodness, I only preached seven minutes. I've never done that. I always fail the other way. I always, it's like I got the longest horse in the race. I don't understand it. God bless you. I love you. Promise of victory. <laughs> <laughs>